welcome to part two of On This Week in Tudor History. Now we're going to start off with the 22nd of January 1561 in the reign of Queen Elizabeth I. For on that day, Francis Bacon, Viscount St. Alban, was born at York House in the Strand in the City of London. Bacon served Elizabeth I as Lord Chancellor and was a politician, philosopher, author and scientist. Bacon is known as the father of the scientific method and he developed an investigative method, the Baconian method, which he put forward in his book Novum Organum in 1620. Some people, Baconians, believe that Francis Bacon was the true author of William Shakespeare's works. Let me give you a few more interesting facts about this famous Tudor man. Bacon was the second son of Sir Nicholas Bacon, Lord Keeper of the Great Seal, and his second wife, Anne, daughter of humanist Sir Anthony Cook. Bacon was educated at home at Gorhambury, near St Albans in Hertfordshire. Both of his parents had a keen interest in education, with his father being a patron of learning and his mother being fluent in several languages. I'll give you a link to my video on Sir Nicholas Bacon so you can find out more about Bacon's father. Following his early education at home, Bacon attended Trinity Hall, Cambridge, where he was tutored by John Whitgift, who'd become Archbishop of Canterbury. And he also studied at Gray's Inn, one of London's inns of the court. In 1576, at just 15 years of age, Bacon was able to travel abroad accompanying Ambassador Sir Amias Paulette to France. He ended up staying there for over two years, learning languages, civil law from a lawyer he stayed with, and statecraft and diplomacy, a wonderful opportunity. Bacon returned to England in 1579 following his father's death. Unfortunately, as his father's youngest son of his two marriages, and due to the fact that his father had died before organising any provision for him, he didn't receive land or an income. But he continued his studies at Gray's Inn and became a lawyer. Bacon's uncle, William Cecil, Lord Burley, acted as a patron for Bacon with the Queen, and he also received patronage from Sir Francis Walsingham, Sir Christopher Hatton, and later Robert Deverer, 2nd Earl of Essex, Elizabeth I's favourite. Bacon started his parliamentary career in 1581 by attending Parliament as the member for Bosony in Cornwall. During his life, he acted as an MP for several places, including Malcolm Regis, Taunton, Liverpool, Middlesex, St Albans, Cambridge University and Ipswich. Bacon was sympathetic to Puritanism, attending Puritan sermons and services, sometimes with his mother. And in 1584, Bacon was one of the authors of a tract attacking Catholics and supporting Puritanism. Bacon supported the execution of Mary, Queen of Scots, while acting as Member of Parliament for Taunton at the Parliament in late 1586 and 1587. He lost out on the office of Attorney General to Edward Cook or Coke, becoming one of Elizabeth I's trusted legal counsel instead. Cook won against Bacon once more when Bacon tried to woo widow Lady Elizabeth Hatton, who chose to marry Cook instead. Bacon was arrested for debt in 1598, but he doesn't seem to have spent any time in prison. 
Bacon's friendship with the Earl of Essex led to him trying to help the Earl, but in the end, he had to choose between his friend and the Queen. In September 1599, following the Earl of Essex's return from Ireland without the Queen's permission, Bacon sought to reconcile Queen and favourite. When the Queen dined with Bacon, he presented her with a sonnet directly tending and alluding to draw on Her Majesty's reconcilement to my Lord. However, it was the Star Chamber that dealt with Essex rather than the Queen. In 1600, when Essex was tried at York House, Bacon acted for the Queen as one of her counsel. Essex ended up being put under house arrest and dismissed from his offices. Following the Earl's Rebellion in 1601, Bacon was appointed to prosecute his friend and his followers. Essex, of course, ended up being executed. Bacon was also appointed to write an official record of the proceedings. Bacon was knighted in 1603, following the accession of King James I. And in 1604, he attempted to explain his role in Essex End in his tract, Apology in Certain Imputations Concerning the Late Earl of Essex, in which he put forward the argument that his first priority always had to be to the monarch and public service. In James I's reign, Bacon was very active in Parliament, defending the king in debates during his first Parliament and arguing the king's sovereignty and the liberty of Parliament are as the two elements and principles of this estate and which do not cross or destroy the one the other, but they strengthen and maintain the one the other. Bacon didn't get married until 1606 when he was 45 years of age. He chose 14-year-old Alice Barnum, daughter of Alderman Benedict Barnum, as his wife. Bacon's secretary and chaplain described the marriage as one of much conjugal love and respect, although Alice went on to have an extramarital affair with Sir John Underhill, who she married shortly after Bacon's death. In 1607, Bacon was finally appointed Solicitor General, and then in 1608 he became Clerk of the Star Chamber, he was also appointed as Prince Henry's personal lawyer. In 1613, he finally became Attorney General. As well as being involved in the King's finances and relations with Parliament, he also had to handle the growing popularity of duelling, as in having a duel with someone, you know, with swords or with guns. He published a proclamation and treatise against it, a publication of His Majesty's edict and severe censure against private combats and combatants in 1614. In 1616, he was chief prosecutor in the trial of the Earl and Countess of Somerset for the murder of Sir Thomas Overbury. They were found guilty and sentenced to death, but their sentence was commuted to imprisonment. Bacon was close to James I's favourite, George Villiers, Earl of Buckingham. In 1616, Bacon was able to get his revenge on Edward Cook, who'd fallen out with the king at the time. With Bacon's help, Cook was removed from the king's bench and privy council. Another opportunity for revenge arose when, in 1617, Cook's wife approached Bacon to help stop her husband from marrying their daughter off to Sir John Villiers, brother of Buckingham. And Bacon wrote to the king, Unfortunately, the King and Buckingham were furious with him. In 1616, Bacon was appointed to James's Privy Council, and in 1617, he was made Lord Keeper. 
The residence of the Lord Keeper was York House, the very house in which he'd been born. Bacon was made Lord Chancellor in 1618 and then Baron Verulam of Verulam. In 1621, he was made Viscount St. Alban. As one of the most important lawyers in England, he handled many cases, including that of Sir Walter Raleigh in 1618. In 1621, Bacon fell dramatically from power. Parliament began impeachment proceedings against him, listing 28 cases where he or his servants had improperly received gifts or loans, i.e. bribes. Apart from an appeal to the king, Bacon did nothing to defend himself and submitted to Parliament, confessing to being guilty of corruption. The punishment was a fine and imprisonment, but the fine of £40,000 was never collected and he was only imprisoned for three days. However, he was banished from court, barred from any state office and forbidden from sitting in Parliament. Bacon's biographer, Marku Peltonen, points out that Bacon was actually a scapegoat for Parliament's grievances regarding patents and monopolies and his old enemy, Sir Edward Cook, was involved. A debt-ridden Bacon ended up having to sell the lease of York House. In December 1625, Bacon made his will, writing, Whatsoever I have given, granted, confirmed or appointed to my wife in the former part of this will, I do now, for just and great causes, utterly revoke and make void and leave her to her right only. This must have been due to his wife's romance with Sir John Underhill. Bacon died on the 9th of April 1626 at Highgate, and his wife married Underhill less than two weeks later. Bacon was laid to rest at St Michael's Church, St Albans. It's thought that he died of pneumonia. Bacon spent nine to £10,000 building Verulam House. Sadly, just 40 years after his death, it had fallen into disrepair and was sold for just £400. Bacon put forward an investigative method I mentioned before, the Baconian method or scientific method, an example of inductive reasoning, and he put forward it in his work, in his 1620 work, Novum Organum. Bacon is seen as the creator of the theory of empiricism, which argues that knowledge comes only from, or primarily from, sensory experience. Bacon was a prolific writer, writing works on religion, science, medicine, law, judicial reform and philosophy. His most significant work is Instauratio Magna, or the Great Instauration, comprising the advancement of learning and novum organum. His other works include Valerius Terminus of the Interpretation of Nature, History of Life and Death, a treatise on medicine, New Atlantis, a utopian work, The Wisdom of the Ancients, Masculus Partus Temporum, The Masculine Birth of Time, a collection of religious meditations and a collection of prayers, as well as numerous essays and a work in honour of the late Queen Elizabeth I. As I said, Baconians believe that Bacon wrote some or all of William Shakespeare's plays, claiming that there are ciphers in the works proving him to be the true author. 
famous 20th century author Daphne du Maurier wrote a biography of Sir Francis Bacon and another book on him and his brother Anthony. And that was just an overview of Bacon's life. You really could write a book or two on that man. I'll give you links to view my videos on his father and also his brother. Moving on to the 23rd of January, on that day in 1570, which was in the reign of Queen Elizabeth I, but something that happened in Scotland, James Stuart, 1st Earl of Murray, illegitimate son of James V, half-brother of Mary, Queen of Scots, and a man who was acting as regent for his half-nephew, King James VI, was assassinated. Murray, who was about 38 or 39 at his death, had become regent for his one-year-old half-nephew following the abdication of Mary, Queen of Scots. Mary, who was imprisoned at the time, had been forced to abdicate by the Confederate lords following her defeat at Carberry Hill. Murray was shot in Linlithgow, Scotland, by James Hamilton of Bothwellhoff. The hit was ordered by the Hamilton family, supporters of Mary, Queen of Scots. Murray was processing down the main street of Linlithgow when Hamilton, who was in the home of his uncle, John Hamilton, Archbishop of St Andrews, shot him from a window. Murray is famous for being the first head of government to be assassinated by a firearm. He was buried at St. Giles's Cathedral in Edinburgh, in St. Anthony's Isle, on the 14th of February, 1570, with renowned Protestant reformer John Knox preaching at his funeral. His daughter Elizabeth became second Countess of Murray. And finally, the 24th of January. That's the anniversary of the laying of the foundation stone of King Henry VII's chapel, a large lady chapel at Westminster Abbey, and it was laid in 1503. At the time, King Henry VII planned for the chapel to be a shrine to King Henry VI, who was expected to be canonised, but this never happened. The chapel was completed in 1516 in the reign of King Henry VIII, and it became the burial place of 15 kings and queens, including Henry VII and his wife Elizabeth of York, who have beautiful gilt bronze effigies, and their grandchildren, Edward VI, Elizabeth I and Mary I, and their great-granddaughter, Mary Queen of Scots. Others buried there in the Tudor period include Lady Margaret Beaufort, Henry VII's mother, and Lady Margaret Douglas, his granddaughter. It's thought that around £20,000 was spent building the chapel. As well as some magnificent tombs, the three-aisle chapel of four bays features a stunning pendant fan-vaulted ceiling, 95 statues of saints and carved missary cords. 16th century poet and antiquary John Leyland called the chapel the wonder of the world. And I'll give you a link to the Westminster Abbey website to see photos of the chapel and tombs and also to take virtual tours of the abbey. It's fascinating. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe so that you can enjoy podcasts on a daily basis. Thank you.